Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Purdue. Oh, we will. Well, this is, this is actually an exciting episode for two reasons. Two, two very exciting reasons. Is it, is it episode 200? It is episode number 200, number one. Oh, look, see, this is how you know it's completely about me and you, man, because I, I don't even keep track of the episodes. Number two. But you laid down the hint. Well, I know Mo's got this, this etched uh, firmly in his calendar every year. It is my birthday as well. So we got 200. Oh, I know. I know. I knew it. Schmidt. Uh, I knew it. Never mind. I knew I was forgetting something. And I, and I, I swear, I swear to God, like just this week, I said, I know Carter's birthday's coming up. I know That's it's right. coming up. And I started thinking about like what I'm going to get him. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to get him what I always get him. The, the, you know, the Amazon gift card. Like that's what you get the man that has everything. Hey, man, I accept. Perfect, though. Right. I promise you, I just got the, um, the it's Carter's birthday. Today? Yeah, today. Sally Thank says happy you. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> and so does Yusuf. We all say happy birthday. And we oh, miss you, brother. We wish oh, I would have seen you on Saturday. Yeah, I know. But um yeah. I got I, you know, I uh, but that just goes to show like how special, right? Like I ordered your book did it completely not because of the birthday, just because that's oh. what you you don't it doesn't have every day is a special day for a friend. It doesn't have to be it's somebody's true. birthday, especially if it's a I get presents close all the to time. You. I get presents. I was gonna say yeah. half my uh Pretty much all my jujitsu wardrobe is uh, gifts that you have bestowed upon me. Um, yeah, no, I, I I don't think I have anything that's not robust at this point. So, so thank you. Beautiful, I, I love that. that. I appreciate yes. that. But yeah, no, I thought it was uh, it was an exciting that that this kind of coincided, and you know, today I was supposed to be in New Orleans uh, celebrating said birthday, and um, my uh, my dog for the third time. Third vacation in a row, same dog has done something that has made us cancel the vacation. <laughs> so this time it was this time it was a pretty good injury though. She uh, she tore the dog equivalent of the ACL in her knee, like completely tore it. So like she couldn't put any weight on that leg at all. She was hopping along, and still I was Man. like, well, you know, at first you know when Chantel and I saw her like chase after the the squirrel. And all of a sudden she's doing that. She's like, we're both looking at each other because our other dog had torn his ACL like a year and a half ago. So we knew the whole surgery, the whole rehab and the whole thing. And she's, she's like, yeah, I think she just tore her knee. I'm like, yeah, I think she did too. But still, I was like, I still think we could somehow cram this vacation in there because more than likely, so I, start, I know that the surgeon well enough, like, because I've used, I basically probably put his kids through college at this point. So I've got his phone number. So I text him and he's like, yeah, I'm probably about two or three weeks out before I can do the surgery. And this is maybe like, um, like a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago at this point. And I'm like, I'm like, baby, if he's, if he's two or three weeks out and we're supposed to go in a week and a half, I guess it's fate. I guess we're going to new Orleans. As soon as we come back, she gets her surgery. Everything's good when she's at the kennel. She's got her own little bungalow. She's not going to be running around. She'll be fine. This is going to work out perfectly. And then I talked to the um, the vet because he, he's like a mobile surgeon. He comes in, does his surgery, and leaves. So he does the surgery at the actual veterinarian's office that we go to. And I talked to somebody there, and she's like, yeah, it's looking like June 13th. I'm like, this is perfect. It's all going to work out. This is great. Then she calls me back like an hour later and I'm in a meeting and I see they called. I'm like, okay, cool. They're just calling to confirm. She calls and she's like, yeah, because of you, he's decided he could do it on June 2nd. And I'm like, damn it. Cause this was literally the day we're supposed to leave for new Orleans. Well, let me ask you this. well that brings up the question, right? Like let's say they wouldn't have called. You would have gone on this trip. Yes. Yeah. So in other words, like you could have, you could, you could put off the surgery. Oh, oh, I, I thought, I thought long and hard about even telling my wife 
I was like, maybe I just. And I don't mean that in any, and and I don't mean that in any heart. Like I just, I don't know, right? Like I'm not in these situations. I don't want like, I know, um, know. you know, people that are, the dog owners to like attack me. I'm, I I don't know what I don't know. So if that was a stupid question, I'm sorry. Some people would probably be like, Mo, would you, would you put off the surgery for your child? I get it. I'm, I'm asking because you were gonna go on your trip. I know, I know, and I thought about it, and I was like, I just. There, there was two reasons. Number one is the recovery for this is a huge pain in the ass because it's like this, it's not like an ACL repair like somebody would have on their knee, a human, because if they do that with dogs, the dogs will just start running and they'll re-tear it right away. So it's actually something where they put in, it's almost like when somebody breaks their, their arm and they get a metal plate. So she has two metal plates because we got both legs done at the same time. So basically, that's the only thing that's keeping the bone together right now until the bone heals. So like when you break your arm, you got about eight weeks where you can't be punching people in the head, Mom. I'm, I'm just telling you this. So when you break your arm, don't punch me in the head. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of a pain in the ass because they can't jump on anything. They can't run. And she's a very reactive, energetic dog who runs and bursts up immediately and all that. So I was like, man, this is going to be a lot of work. But... The idea of putting that work off a couple of weeks, especially given the entire chaos that 2022 has been so far, and we're not even halfway done yet, just thing after thing after thing keeps coming up that I'm like, when something comes up, I'd rather not put it off, like number one. But number two is just like, I'm just watching her like hop along. And I'm like, I can't do this. And that's what I, just, I figured. I can't do it. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too, with this injury with dogs, the reason we got both legs done together Everybody I know who's gotten just the injured leg repaired, as soon as it was fully good, they tore the other one, like immediately. Like it's happened four or five people that I know who have dogs that have had this. It's actually the CCL is the name of the the ligament. People have torn that. The dog has torn the other one immediately. So we learned this early on. So when we had our other dog had the same knee surgery about a year and a half ago, I'm like, okay, we're doing both. Now, given that, this turns out into an interesting sort of Pavel Satsolin grease the groove type of workout that I get in because still now we're, we're that surgery is on Thursday. So we're third day in, I have to pick her up and carry her outside multiple times a day. So I am greasing the groove with my dog deadlift carry technique over and over again. And I kind of feel like kind of like pumped, like all three days. Like, I feel like I'm getting like a, like a good steady workout, like not like a something where I feel exhausted, but I feel like when you work out just the right amount, you feel like strong afterwards, kind of feel that way right now. So I'm like, man, there, there's something to this grease in the groove thing. I just had been doing it with like pull-ups or whatever. I'd never thought about dog carries before, but uh, it's pretty good. So, um, so yeah. Much harder than sandbag carries. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, like, as long as she's feeling okay, it's good. If she starts squirming around, then it's exactly. got to keep those elbows to your hips. So, um, she's, so she's not a, she's not a small dog by no, any, she's 65 by any pounds, means. So, <laughs> well, my other dog was 75 pounds and he was much lower to the ground and much like thicker. So that was much more challenging because I had to really squat down and just get a grip and it was a very very low it was like one of those the zercher deadlift that you see people do where they deadlift the bar on the crook of their elbows and they get all the way down and they do that it was that was basically what i was doing i was zerchering my my boy dog so that was that was also tough tank, tank, the tank. Hey, he is a tank man <laughs> yes so um so it's been you know i it's funny i think this actually ties into everything we we're wanting to talk about which is the idea of expectations um because this year has been almost to the point where I'm like, I, I don't even want to have any expectations. And, and we're talking about this more in a, a customer service type of thing. But but just thinking about it, um, the idea of under-promising and over-delivering in business and, and maybe in life, too, in terms of not having high expectations, I kind of think that leads to more happiness and I think it really leads to sort of a more calm, better state of being. Just personally thinking about this, if I can continue this sort of, I'm just going to see what happens type of idea and sort of have lower expectations. I think expectations. it's a very stoic idea. Yeah. Yeah. That if you, 
if you expect nothing, then you're grateful for the things that come into your life that you did not expect to come into your life. Yes, because the thing is, and it, this happened last time too, as much as I was, don't get me wrong, Mo, I was so pissed when I had to cancel this, so mad. This feeling of injustice of like, I'm like, I can't get a vacation. I just want three days, just, <laughs> just a little bit of pastry walking around and hearing people talk and sort of Cajun speak for three days is all I want. Taken away from me again. <laughs> I was mad, but it's actually been like a fun little weekend. Like it's fun. We're like all hanging out. It's almost like we're camping and like, cause we all, she got to have eyes on the dog the entire time. She cannot run. She cannot do whatever. So one of us is always around her all the time and we have watching movies and just different things. And it's actually been pretty fun. So it's one of those things where I, I expect like, oh, this thing I can't do now and everything's going to be miserable. And then it's like, by now it's almost like, ah, you know what? It's probably better I was here than there anyway. I mean, like it, it's, especially if I'd known that I'd put the surgery off, I'm like, I never would have enjoyed the trip either. Cause I'd feel like a dick the That's whole true. time making my poor little yeah. girl dog well, suck. Well, you know, the best, you know, yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I agree. And that's what I figured you would say. Um, but it makes me think about like the best movies that I've always have seen are ones where I went in with these super low expectations. It was like spur of the moment. I'm just trying to kill some time. Younger days at, near a theater. Okay, let me go in. I don't have any expectation except to kill time. And it turns out to be this really great movie, right? Because yeah. the expectations were so low. Yeah. The only thing is that it's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to preach the philosophy, at least for me, because I don't know quite how to explain it yeah. to people. I don't even know how to how to explain it uh, really to myself because there's so much there's so much room for debate in terms of like, well, are you saying I shouldn't set goals? Are you saying that when I go into jujitsu, I shouldn't expect to do this and I shouldn't expect to get better and I shouldn't expect my business to grow? Like, where do you draw that line of, you know, because. I, I don't know. I don't know where to, to draw the line. I, I, I know where I'm over expecting and that's when yeah. I'll kind of pull myself back. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's, it. that's as far think, as it goes to me. Yeah. I think, I think that's what you get. And, and that's, everything always comes down to what works for you, the individual. And I think that where people get with expectations, when it's something where it's distracting them from the present moment, when it's, um, putting off, like, I will be happy when this happens. Um, you know, they almost talk about the, uh, Scott Adams talks a lot about the idea of creating systems rather than having goals. So the idea of a, of a system of like, okay, I'm going to work out at this time every day, or I'm going to do this consistently, whatever it might be. And rather than I'm going to lose 30 pounds, or I'm going to, you know, be able to dog carry a hundred pound dog or whatever, you know, whatever your goals might be, it's okay. No, I'm just going to do this thing consistently and then see what happens without expectation. So it's like focusing in more on the process rather than the result. Um, I think if that works for people, then that's what they should do. You're right though. Cause there's some people I've met, even in jujitsu, I knew a guy coming up. Um, he used to kick the crap. He would still kick the crap out of me. I was gonna say he used to, but that's cause I haven't trained with him in like 10 years, but, um, he competed a lot like when we were training together. He was always a couple belts ahead of me. So he was a, a brown belt when I was a blue belt. And he won the um, the worlds as a blue belt in Brazil in the mid, like eight, late 90s when it was like super competitive and there was like 150 people in his division, all that. And he was a high level judo guy as well. And I remember him telling me, he's like, if I'm not, if I don't have a competition coming up, he's like, I don't even want to train. He's like, I don't want to diet. I don't want to do anything. Like, he's like, there's no, I have no motivation to train unless I have a competition. So if some people need those specific goals and they know themselves. He knew this about himself and that's why he competed so much. He really, it was almost like he competed in order to stay in shape. You know what I mean? Um, there's, he knew that about himself. There's other people where if you, they were sort of the opposite competing made them miserable, gave them anxiety, made them feel terrible. And it was almost like they would avoid even going to the school if a competition was coming up. So it was like that the, the competition made them not want to train. So it's kind of the opposite for different people. And that's why I, for you and me, I think, or for me at least I can say, uh, every time I get fixated on certain goals, certain expectations, whatever, I'm almost always wrong. And the other thing that I don't like about it is it makes me not enjoy 
what I'm doing at the time because I feel like, oh, it's got to lead to this thing. And then it's sort of like, well, then when it leads to this thing, then then some other thing will happen. Like if I if I gain the weight and get the muscle, then I'll be happy or get the girl. Or if I lose the weight or if I get the money, then I'll, you know, I, I don't know what will happen, you know, versus I'm just enjoying and this And sometimes you can be setting up for you. No, I, man, that's beautifully said because I think one of the biggest things for me has been when I set a very clear expectation of a, you know, result oriented. And when I don't get that specific result, then everything to me is kind of a failure. Yeah. But in reality, there are so many things that I gained along the way that if I would have focused on the process, I'm like, okay, I didn't get the result that I wanted, but I'm so much better today than I was yesterday. Look at all these other type of unexpected results that I received. Yeah. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think especially, I think that was the main mindset sh shift in competition for me was when I stopped caring about winning and losing. Because I think that's such a great thing is when you're no longer caring about the result of winning and losing. Because to a large degree, when you have something that's based off a judge's decision, right? Like they used to say, don't leave it in the judge's hands. And I agree with that 100%. Because when you leave it in the judge's hands, it's subjective, right? Like, they yeah. could be focused in on one style more than the other. They, be, they could be giving uh, one person more points for their style because they like the aggression or somebody else likes the ring generalship. Um, it could be completely biased. You could be a hometown boy and the judge is from your hometown, yeah. you know, um, and you don't have a lot of control over those things. But what you do have control over is all the training that you do leading up to it, yeah. right? Um, you have complete control over how you train for the fight and, and um, so I like that idea of focusing in on the systems and, and not the results, but yeah. also understanding that let's say you get down to competition and you win. Great. But if you don't win, it's still great because, again, I think you go back and you ask yourself, am I better today than I was before I started training for this competition? Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, I yeah. believe that the answer will probably be yes. Most of the time. Yeah. And you were you were talking about this in terms of business, in terms of you know your business specifically, um, almost under promising the product you're going to deliver, and that's an interesting sort of persuasive technique, in terms of when you get people to lower their expectations and then you exceed their expectations, um, like we said, the idea of under promising and over delivering, and why do you think that? I mean, why do you think it ended up like that for you guys? Was this something, was it sort of a conscious thing or was it um, like, what, what do you think made that happen? It, it definitely, this happened more so with one of our other businesses, um, mainly um, the painting business. Mm. Um, and we've adapted uh, over time. So what would happen, and we, and we just adapted based off uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is that we weren't very clear on what to expect. So the we would leave it up to the customer to kind of or the client to kind of come up with their own expectations and being they would do exactly what we're talking about right now. They would come up with these uh, incredible expectations that weren't realistic. They weren't yeah. based on any sort of reality, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to make $20 million this year. Like that's just an unrealistic expectation. And you're probably setting yourself for, up for failure, yeah. um, in, in most instances. And so over time, we just felt like, you know, the main thing is we want to, when we walk away from anyone, from any one of the businesses that we have now, our main goal is that the it, it it really comes down to client happiness. That's it. That's 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 all it is. If if you hire, if you sub work out, we we let we let people know that that help us. That look at the end of the day, what we want is for the client to be happy, and to a certain extent, you have to guide their expectations. You can't just leave it up to them because they don't know what to expect. Because at the in the reality is this: is as a business owner, whatever business you're in, who's the expert? The client or you? Yeah. And if you're not setting the expectation for the client, hmm. then they're going to set it for themselves, but they're not an expert and they don't know what to expect. Right. Yeah. So to a certain degree, you have to guide and set the expectation because 
one of the things that I can honestly tell you is when you're when you're in business, regardless of what you're doing, if it's you know whatever business you're in, look at yourself as an advisor. That's what you're there to do. When you go in and you're speaking to a client, don't go there to try to get the sale. Say I am Carter has called me today and I am there to give him professional advice. Now my advice may not lead him to buying from me and that's okay because at the end of the day I'm doing what's in the best interest of my client. You are my client even though you haven't you, the fact that you've called me even though you haven't invested any money I need to point you in the right direction. I need to give you the best advice. And if I'm not advising my clients then kind of what's what's my point there? And so what I started to do in a lot of our businesses is communicate more with the client, right? And one of the things is that you don't just give them one option. You gotta you gotta lay out all the options from from and and, and then what you'll do is you'll say, look, I can't tell you kind of what the the best option is. I can tell you what I believe the best option to be based off of my experience. But what my job here to here today is, is to present you with all the information and allow you to take it home and process it and then kind of figure out what's going to be best for you. If what's best for you is doing business with me, then we can take the next step. But if you feel that you want to go in a different direction, Hopefully I can point you in that right direction. Either way, I'm here to help you. And that's kind of how I leave all, how I end all my conversations with clients and any one of our businesses is at the end, we're here to help you, whether you spend money with us or you don't spend money with us. So I think it has a lot to do again, circling back to what we've talked about uh, time and time again, is that communication is key and you're there to advise your client. You're there to be an advisor to inform them. And I think this really applies, especially as a jujitsu school owner, like yeah. going in as a student, am I supposed to set my expectations of, uh, or are you supposed to help guide me yeah. on what are realistic expectations? Right. Yeah. Because yeah. if I come in and I'm 500 pounds and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, in six months, I'm going to be, you know, 215 and ripped. Yeah. Then you, if you don't communicate clearly with your student, with your client, then you're allowed, you're, you're setting them up for failure. And guess who's going to blame yeah. after they spend money with you, they're going to blame you. And that's where, um, we had to, that's when we figured out, we're like, okay, we're getting blamed for stuff. That's really not our fault. Like, but yeah. they set these false expectations and they yes. invested money here. So yeah. the easiest person to blame is going to be us. What yes. we have to do is be clear before they invest money, before you invest money, this is the result that you can expect. And you know what's a good example of that is when you invest in a company, right? Let's say you're buying a stock, right? Um, your financial advisor should be setting some very real expectations on what your return on that investment could be, right? Um, if there's, you know, uh, because if they don't, then they're going to be setting, you know, one of the things that you're probably going to want to tell your client is, is, um, you know, the, what's your risk tolerance, right? Like if this is a super risky uh, investment and you don't, you don't set that expectation that like, look, there's a high, there's a very big upside because there's a high risk, yeah. but you don't set the expectation. Like because of the high risk, you can actually lose all your money. You don't ever go and talk to your client about that. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen when they lose all their money, <laughs> they're going to be super pissed and they're going to be mad at you and it's going to yeah. affect your reputation. You're, 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 you're going to probably get less business, right? So I think it's about being an expert in your field, communicating clearly before the client invest money, not yeah. after they invest money, before they invest money, set clear and realistic expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. So just, I want to circle back to the jujitsu school owner thing, because I've actually had this conversation directly with one school owner in Austin and indirectly with another school owner in Austin, because for people who don't know, I mean, Austin is a very fast-growing city, and the jiu-jitsu scene in Austin, until maybe five years ago, was good, but it, it, there was nothing special about it. Uh, but because of, I would say, flow grappling kind of really taking hold, and flow grappling is based out of Austin, and then um, in very short time, you had Jean de Hibero move to Austin, who's a famous quote-unquote jiu-jitsu guy. But then after that, you had John Danaher and Gordon Ryan, the formerly known as the Danaher Death Squad, now known as New Wave Jiu-Jitsu. 
And then you had Craig Jones and Nikki Rod and guys that were also part of Danaher that became the B team. Both those groups moved to Austin probably about a year ago. And that really changed the tenor of this town because all of a sudden it went from like, okay, you know, good jujitsu, you had some stuff to like, you literally have people moving here from all over the world specifically to train jujitsu in Austin. And so a couple different school owners that I know have been worried about this. They're like, you know, how am I going to compete? You've got John Danaher, you've got Craig Jones, you have all these famous jujitsu guys. And I'm like, well, that really depends on the expectations that the teacher has set for their students. If they're setting, I would say, false expectation being like, I'm going to get you to the cream of the crop. You're going to be the 1% of 1% in jujitsu competition. You're going to have to sacrifice everything in your life. But, but if this is what you want, I'm the guy to get you there. They're probably not being honest with themselves, and they probably are screwed if that's the expectation they're giving to their student. But I know that it's not. They're given the expectation of like, hey, this is a place where we do good jujitsu. You get to hang out with cool guys. You get to have a good time. You get a good workout in. You're going to feel your skill development increase. And we're all on the same page of this. And it's, it's a fun time. And am I the best guy in town? No, I'm not. But am I somebody that you really connect with? And I'm your kind of guy and you're my kind of guy? Yes. So this is what I offer. And I, and I remember telling both these guys, sort of one, again, directly, one indirectly, the fanboys of jujitsu are going to come to Austin and train with these guys. And some of them may be really high-level competitors, and, and that's where they belong. But if they're only, the, like, their mentality is like, I've got to train with the, the most famous guy or the best guy or whatever, then they were never your students to begin with. They were sort of using you as a proxy while they're watching instructionals, hoping one day that John Danaher moves to Austin. Now he did. Okay, my dream has come true. Now I'm going to go to him. They were never really your student. And again, going back to what you said, the instructor probably did not do their job by setting up the expectation properly. Because I think that everyone thinks you have to give the expectation that we're the best place. You're going to be the best student. The reality is most people don't want to be the best really in anything in life, but absolutely in jujitsu, because being the best at jujitsu is a miserable, horrible, horrible, miserable lifestyle that until very recently made you <laughs> completely broke, both mentally, financially, and physically your entire life. Now, the 1% of the 1% is making some money, but there's only one Gordon Ryan. Don't, don't fool yourself that everyone's going to make all this money. It's only a very few. And for the most of them, it just, it, it ruined, it's, it's not a good career path at all. So most people don't want that. Most people want, you're learning some cool stuff, you're hanging out with some good people that are gonna become your best friends, you're all growing in life together, and as you get older, you appreciate the ones that are still around, that are still on the mat when you get in your 40s and 50s and all this kind of stuff. That's why 99% of the people train. Cater to the 99%. Why are you gonna to cater to the 1%? Because they're never gonna be loyal to begin with. They're never going to be your students. So set the expectation properly. You'll be surprised. It's almost a relaxing thing because I think where I see jujitsu student or jujitsu schools get it wrong a lot is they try and be everything. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. We cater to everyone, you know, middle-aged house housewives or elite competitors and blah. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't. Like the elite competitor schools do not cater to the average person. No, they don't. And then the place where it's just sort of like, the place that I train at a lot of times, I saw on Reddit, they said, it's the toughest group of dads I've ever seen. And I'm like, there you go. I can accept that. It's a tough group of dads. Are they the best ever? No, but it's a tough group of dads. I think that's good. So to me, it's, you actually do everybody a favor by setting expectations because it's a relief to you, you know, because it doesn't, you don't have to be everything. You have to be you. What are you good at? And it's a relief to the students in a way, too, because there's a lot of times where they feel like this weird pressure, I got to be this, or it seems like one day the class is about this and the next day. People like consistency. So when you go to McDonald's anywhere in the world, you kind of know what to expect because that's what McDonald's does. That's why fast food is so popular. That's why when you go to our beloved Starbucks, Mo, when I ask for that English breakfast <laughs> tea with a splash of cream, it doesn't matter if I'm in the swanky part of Temple, Texas, or the more rundown part of Lubbock, Texas. People can tell what kind of lifestyle I'm leaving, obviously. Uh, it doesn't matter. That tea is going to be the same, my man. It's going to be the same. 
I like the consistency so, because Starbucks has set that expect expectation for me. It's not like if I go to one place, the English breakfast tea is like this weird, spicy, like non-caffeinated herbal thing. And I go somewhere else and it's like this heavy, dark soup. Well, now I, I don't like it because it's it's different things. I don't want different things. I want the same thing. So that's it's it's weird. It's like this weirdly relieving thing. And, and that hopefully more jujitsu as jujitsu gets more popular, I think more instructors can really focus on the average person much more than the elite because the elite ones will find wherever they find. It's very few. And the other thing, too, to remember, kind of temporary. Hate to say it, but look at the guys. I say this, I've said this on the podcast many times, and I'll say it many times more. Look at the top competitors now. Look who were the top competitors five years ago. It's almost a completely different list, which would lead me to believe that in five years from now, the top competitors completely different again. So if you're chasing that, you got a five-year window. After that window's closed, that's probably it. So if you're catering a whole business around people that are going to be done in five years, at least at what the goal they're going for. That's a tough business, man. That's a tough flip to make. hundred percent. Yeah. One thing I would say is that now that we are talking about having to set these healthy expectations for your clients, one of the important things to know is how do you advise them the right way? Like, how do you know what expectations to set? And that's going to come from the communication part. I learned a lot of that flipping mobile homes. Mm -hmm. So we, we would meet with the seller and you would get down to, you know, finding out the right expectations to set comes to, you know, you, you get to that point by figuring out what your client wants and why they want it. What is their why basically is what you're trying to figure out. So, you know, they would be wanting to flip this or they would want to be selling their mobile home. And I would ask them, you know, why do you want to sell it and what do you hope to get? Right. And sometimes you'd get these crazy things like, you know, they're why they wanted to sell it was completely understandable. But what they were hoping to get, like, well, this was, you know, several years ago. It's not the market that we have today because <laughs> what they were asking five years ago, they could probably get it today. Yeah, probably. Uh, but they would be asking these unrealistic numbers and, and you'd have to set these realistic expectations. Like, look, if you really need the cash today, you might be able to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars, but you know, if you need it today, you're going to have to wait. You're not going to get that kind of money today. You know, you're going to really have to wait and, and, um, market this place. And, and, and you might even have to fix up the place, right? Like set, you have to set these realistic expectations. Um, and I think it's the same thing when you're dealing with jujitsu students, you got to figure out what is their, why, when they're coming into the school, why are they there? Not all of them are there for the exact same reasons. You know, I think people have this idea that everybody, you know, that takes some sort of martial arts, it's all about, you know, learning to fight. Yeah. And I think that that might be the, that, that might be the truth uh, for the majority of people that that take some sort of self-defense. Right. But that's not usually this. You know, my my reasons for taking jujitsu, I found over, you know, going on 10 years now uh, of training jujitsu has not always been the same yeah. uh, as everybody else's. Right. Like there's a lot of women that go in there and. They have different goals than from some of the guys that go in there, right? And then there's guys that go in there, and they're in two different points in their lives. You have one who's 22, still living with mom, and you have another guy who's 40 years old. And their reasons for doing jujitsu are completely different. Yes. And if you're going to be an advisor to your client, you got to know what their reasons for doing jujitsu are. So now, after you understand why they're wanting to do jujitsu, you can create these realistic expectations and figure out then how to set some goals that are more uh, not result oriented, but process oriented. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other thing, too, is what's what's interesting when you were saying that I was thinking even with an individual person, because I mean, I started jujitsu when I was 21 and now I just turned today 48. So that is going from a young man to a solidly middle-aged, I wouldn't say old yet, but we'll say solidly middle-aged. And my reasons for doing jujitsu are very different now than they were when I started. And I expect that they will continue to be, to change because it's like, you know, even after I got my black belt, my reasons changed quite a bit. The way I trained, trained, changed quite a bit. And you know, in many ways, 
at a certain point, your only goal may be able, may be being able to train. That might be it. Like the result, like how you do, did I pull this technique off? How was my cardio? None of that matters sometimes. I mean, when somebody's coming back from a potentially career-ending injury or somebody's past a certain age, there's a guy that we train with, tough black belt in his 60s. I don't think you've ever met him. He just had like pretty intensive brain surgery. And Brandon just sent me a, a text me a picture the other day. He's back on the mat. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm not going to let my stinking little hip problems like <laughs> stop me. When this dude had crazy, it's like a crazy, it's a, for Meniere's disease, which is a, Dana White has it too. It's like this weird, you start getting weird balance and vertigo issues and stuff like that. So they open the brain up. They, they move your brain out of the way and like cut this nerve or something like that and then push the brain back. Like that's the surgery this guy had maybe six months ago, eight months ago. Already back on the mat, already 61, 62 years old. So it's like that becomes the goal after a certain point is just to keep doing it. But versus, you know, when you're 25 or 30, it's like, oh, my goal is to smash everyone on the mat, especially when you get to that like young competitive purple belt age where you're like, I'm just going to smash everyone. And you love guys like my age. Like, I'm going to smash this old man, make him want to quit. You know I mean? Like, the goals just change <laughs> over time. And I think part of being a good business owner, like you were saying, is understanding that. Understanding the goals are going to be different for different people. Part of the good thing with, you know, Robles or Nice Guy Painting um, is to understand, like, okay, this client seems really picky. And they're selling they're, – they're wanting this home because – they're going to live here, and this is where they're going to create. They're going to start a family here. They're going to do all this stuff. They're going to have all these events. We want to give them you know, a good base, a good canvas to, to paint their life, or however you want to say it, versus this other person. They've lived here. They just want to sell this place. They want to sell it quickly, so they need it painted looking good. It's sort of a different emotional thing that they might need, even if it's the exact same That's paint job. You know what That's I mean? so interesting that you said that, right? Because once you understand what the – See, your your whole job in business is to be a problem solver. That yes. is it. You yep. are a problem solver. doesn't matter what business you're in. You don't know what problem you have to solve until you understand the expectations of your client, right? Because there are two different solutions. You're not There's not this one solution for everyone. So it's like you said, you have this one family that this is going to be their forever home or their home for the next 10, 15 years. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they just got married. They're going to have their kids. They're going to have their first Christmas here. They're going to have birthday parties here. And they're imagining this in their life. And they're like, Mo, this is going to be our, this may be our forever home, but it's definitely going to be our home for the next 10, 15 years. It's very long term. Yep. The solutions I offer them are going to be very different from the solutions that I would offer, let's say myself, if I'm an investor and I'm looking to just, I don't want to eat into my profit. I just want to make this have curb appeal and make yeah. it look good in photos, yep. sort of put lipstick on yeah. that pig. Yeah. So that way, you know, I, the solutions that I yeah. offer to those clients are going to be yeah. two different solutions and you won't yeah. know what solutions to offer until you know what their expectations are and what the problems are. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny because I, I and I think uh, that's true for an academy owner, right? Yeah. Like you you you're looking to solve some. So like I come in there and I'm like, hey, I want to lose weight. Well, now the solutions you give me might be a little bit different, and you're going to tailor something for me. And I think that you know I I would say that that's probably where I would separate business owners from one another is if you have a jujitsu school owner and his solution for every client, no matter who they are, Sad. a big small. Uh, advanced, not advanced, young, old, his like only solution is like, yeah. oh yeah, we're just going to do jujitsu and everything's yeah. going to be better. Like, yeah. uh, that's like, you're really taking the easy way out, right? Like, um, I think you really have to be more intensive and you have to be a problem solver and really look at, figure out like, why, why do they want to do this and what can you do to help them do it? And that solution is not going to be different for, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's interesting how, you know, people don't necessarily look at it at business this way. People certainly don't look at teaching jujitsu this way. Um, a lot of investors, I think, don't necessarily, on, on the face of it, look at something like real estate as this way either. But once you start dealing with the actual people that you're buying and selling from, and and I'm even finding um, now that I'm dealing more in the development and commercial side of things, 
it's becoming more like, okay, I need to meet this zoning person. I need to meet this person on city council. And what's interesting with that is it turns into a whole new set of problems and things like that. And and one thing, this is just kind of funny. I'm, I'm supposed to meet up with this zoning guy and my broker this week. And we, my broker knows him. So he emailed both of us. He's like, Hey, you know, let's get lunch or whatever. And the zoning guys, like, Oh no, can't do lunch. If somebody sees me there with a developer, they're going to be like, well, who bought his lunch and who did what? And I'm like, uh, to me, yeah. it's like the last <laughs> thing I could even think of, but it's like, okay, but this is the worry is, okay, how is this coming across? Is this, do I look biased? Like this is a whole interesting new set of sort of problems in politics that I've never dealt with before, but it's, so it was nice that he put that there because now I'm like, okay, I get this. I see why they would prefer to meet in their office. I see why, to me, I know that I'm not trying to bribe somebody or do whatever, but it's like, but I understand that appearances matter and somebody is sort of in a weird thing where you're kind of working for the city, but you're kind of in politics at the same time. So it, it presents new problems and, and opportunities or whatever you want to say. And and then it becomes, like, well, okay, well, how can I be the problem solver in this? Like, how can I be, you know, is it being reliable? Is it is it figuring out connections to make with certain things? It, I, I don't know. Like, it's kind of going into it like, like, I don't really know. I'm going in into it to sort of learn more about this guy and find more about what's happening with the city and, and maybe give him my thoughts on what I'm seeing from a little bit of an outsider point of view. But all that other stuff, all that other expectations, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't, I don't have high expectations on something like that um, other than just seeing where I can fit in on something like that. So it's, it is interesting as you progress in different types of businesses, that always becomes the issue. Like, how can you solve the problem? Um, much more so than necessarily like, I'm building buildings, I'm teaching jokes, I'm, you know, making, I'm painting people's houses, I'm, I'm giving people cool geese. It's like, yes, but that's not really the business you're in. You know, you are. That's right. That's exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. And so that's something that um, I wish I'd learned earlier in life, but hopefully some young fella or young, young lady out there is listening to us right now going, these two old guys know what they're talking about. And they will listen. <laughs> they will solve. Oh, whoa, whoa. You just, you just went ahead and just freely just kind of grouped me in with you. I did. I, I mean, did. it's not because <laughs> when you do the combined age thing and you divide it in two, you're like, well, it's an, it's an average age of like whatever it is, 45. So, yeah, that's what I did. Sorry. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a birthday coming up. So, um, yeah, you do. I know. Getting up there, so, getting up there. Hey, man, I was um reading something I, uh, the other day about how it's going to happen in our lifetime. Maybe not our lifetime, because like you said, we're, we're close to being <laughs> dead. But uh, <laughs> but um, they're doing that gene manipulation, and they've already done it in, in mice, where okay. they've been able to manipulate the gene that ages you, keeps and, and, and actually it reverts. So this was their, so the, the reason why they're doing this is they didn't start doing this because of... Um, like trying to create this, uh, um, what do they call it? Like um, the the a fountain of youth. They're not trying to create a fountain of youth. Yeah. They're looking at uh, age as being a disease. In other words, a lot of the problems that you have later in life. Yeah. I know it was funny when I read it too. And when you really <laughs> think about it, it's like cancers and and high blood yeah. pressure and all this stuff. That it happens like later in age, right? Yeah. Um, and so they're looking at like aging as being a disease. And if you're going to treat the, 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 the root cause, then you have to yeah. treat the aging. Yeah. And so they've already been able to do this um, with mice. And uh, they're saying, you know, they're, they're far off from being able to do this from humans, but they're very optimistic in them being able to do it well within, they said, uh, 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 you know, our lifetime. Right. I don't know if they, they knew they were speaking to someone that, that's <laughs> as old as I am, but uh my question would be like i started to think about this a lot right like so and, and how the how the article concluded was like there's no reason why like the doctor was basically saying there's no reason why like people can't live well and in, into their hundreds right and i started to think about this and i'm like i don't know if i want i mean Dude, I so you know how we talked about this before where you're yeah. like well mo you can't say what you want because it's not really an option right like yeah. for you to say like i don't know if i'd want a billion dollars yeah. eh, you really can't say it because it's not really an option for you right? right um but i really really think long and hard about that and i was like man i, I don't know if i'd want to 
you know, I'm, a, and, and again, I'm a person and I'll tell you, we're not all the same. We're all different. I respect everybody's beliefs. I do believe like, I believe in the afterlife. Um, and I'm kind of interested. Now, it doesn't mean I want someone to come and kill me. Right. Like, don't, don't show up at my house and, and like, all right, you want to know what's on the, on the other side? We're about to find you. out <laughs> by yourself, bro. Um, no, you know, it'll happen when it happens, but you know, I'm interested in figuring out what's on the other side to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, it is a weird thing when people, I think, conflate the idea of a long life with a good life. Like this idea of like, like, oh my God, it's so awesome. This guy's 85 years old. And it's like, why is that awesome? Like, I mean, if they're in great health and they love living and blah, 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 then okay, cool. But I, but if I'm in a diaper and I'm in constant pain, dude. Yeah, like, I, I mean, it's nah. not to be morbid, but I mean, I've watched both my parents die slowly now, and not for me. I've told, I'm, I'm just, I, I will, I will say, not for me. That is, that is one thing I am not going to let happen to me. And I watched well, it wait, happen. Well, let's let's invert the. We're, we're probably taking this podcast a little bit longer than it needs to be, but if you invert the problem, right? And let's say right yeah. now they'd give you a serum that basically locked in your health and your age like as it is right now um yeah. and you know you'd you'd live another 50 years but you'd be carter at 48 would everybody else around me get that same serum as well let's say yes then i'd consider it but if it was something where i'm going to be healthy and everybody i care about is going to die no no i'd much rather be one of the first ones out not like right away but I want a decently packed funeral. I do. I don't want to have like an empty funeral. So I figure I got to get out of here in the next like 15 years to make that happen. Because if I'm, you know, if I'm like 75, man, everyone might be dead at that point already. I love, then, I love how we answer these questions. Like it's, it's a, um, something that's going to happen. You're like, well, is everybody else going to take the serum? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that matters. Like, cause it, cause otherwise it's like, you're in one of those, um, you're like a, a legit question of, though. Yeah. You're like a true yourself. blood. You're like one of those vampires where everyone's, they live to like, you know, he's 200 years old. He's watched his whole family grow up and grow old and die. And who wants that, man? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it, I always yeah, think of, I always, that always makes me think of like Highlander. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't want to be Connor McLeod. He just, he yeah. lives in this depressed world where can't have any children or, Sees all his loved ones dead. It's yeah, no good. Surrounded by all these, I don't know. Everything having a time limit is a good thing. I mean, there there's can only be that, one. There's some people. Yeah, that's right. There, there's definitely some people that I think <laughs> checked out too early. But having a time limit ultimately is a good thing. I think this weird obsession with like, oh, I want to live forever, immortality. It's like, I don't know. To me, just get over yourself. To me, you've got a certain amount of time to do what you want to do. And that's it. And and hopefully, Mo is right. There's an afterlife. That'd be pretty bitching. Um, I am not going to plan that that is the the case. If it is the case, you're going to set low expectations. Yeah, I'm, I'm setting my <laughs> expectations on the afterlife. Exactly. There we go. And to me, if it happens, cool. Because I feel like I've been pretty decent to people, and I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna you know be in a good spot. I feel like I'm a decent heaven candidate. I'm not saying I'm in. I'm not saying I'm a shoe in. But I don't think I'm going to hell <laughs> at this moment, at least, unless talking about this guarantees that I'm not sure the rules. But, uh, you know, but I'm going to set, set my expectations low because they're like, oh, you get to be around your family and your loved ones. I'm like, really? How old is my family at this point? <laughs> is my grandmother still telling me I'm too violent? Because that was at 10. And good God, if she saw me now, she'd be like, wow, I was way underestimating how bad that was going to be. You know, it's I, I just I think about it. I'm like, I don't know, like the way they describe it, it's like. Everyone I ever knew is alive. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want. Tell me more about this hell thing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's uh, I'm setting my expectations low and, and we'll see. So, yes. But I think that's um, I think it's a good lesson for life. I think to to really under promise and over deliver for me, that's what works. And I, some people like to hype themselves up and live up to that. Um, but I just know that I've been disappointed by a lot of people who talked a good game and didn't deliver. And then every once in a while you meet the person who actually does what they say they're going to do or does even more than they say they were going to do. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. That's who I want to be. There you go. Yeah. Boom. 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 I drop 200 done Two. 
Yeah, uh, 200 and and my absolute best friend in the world, uh, 48th birthday. Uh, I would say may you have another 48, but no. I know you don't want to no. live forever. So <laughs> yeah. may you have as long a life as you would like to have. I'm going to leave it at that. As, yeah. as long as life as you would like to have. Yeah. Um, I'll take to recheck out this episode. Did you say 15? No, 15. Yeah. No, 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 no. We, we got 15 B. I That's think, enough. I think, I think you're going to be, I think you're going to be good. You're going to be good for the next 20. After that, eh, every day is just a blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> After that, Yusuf is going to look at that, uh, that escrow account that I put in for 500 K where he's like, I just have to make it look like an accident. Right. All right. Cause he's kind of wobbly the way he walks now. And there's some stairs. And, so, and he used to pick me up and slam me all the time and say, you'll never take me down. He's all cocky when I was nine. Hopefully he's hearing this. I just yeah, want to put you know, start though, he, he does. He asked, he asked for you guys because he doesn't know, right? Like he doesn't know the plans for the weekend. So yeah. he's like, is Uncle Carter's Uncle Kevin coming over? The, Kevin was yeah. supposed to come yesterday, but he, he ran into some stuff. So um, hopefully we have you guys out next weekend. Yeah, I hope so, man. I, I got to see how healthy. Maybe. We'll, see. we'll see. We're not going to set any expectations. We're going to play it. We're going to go. We're going to go with the flow. To check yeah. out this episode or to re-listen to our past episodes, uh, go to Apple iTunes, like, review, subscribe. Subscribe. Also, you can check it out on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. We make custom geese. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Be sure to check them out. And if you're in business and you're looking to design your websites, you're looking to do social media design, anything like that, check out Quantum Leap Digital Design. As always, I'm Mo. That is my brother and partner in crime, Carter Fisk. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.